Laura. Good morning, Todd. How are you doing today? I'm doing okay. I'm doing really good. I'm very excited about our, this whole project. However, um, I did spin class yesterday for the go? first time in um, many years, and I'm having trouble walking today. Um, <laughs> I actually had trouble getting out of the bed today. Uh, I might as well have a wheelchair as my main I don't even know how I got up to my the studio because I it was a very slow process. You know what? You made it though. That's the whole the whole thing. You made I it. I did it. You know, next next spin class will be even better. Will it? I don't know. But <laughs> I, I will tell you that out. I did that I did that spin class after going to Wine and Food Festival the day before, which was a huge mistake. How and was then that? how was Wine and Food how, Festival? Oh, Wine and Food Festival was fantastic. I mean, you can't go wrong with tiny bites of food and and drinks but um it was in a different place this year so that was a little bit you know kind of disappointing for the beer garden because they aren't at marion square like they normally are as for all those people that are not from charleston that is downtown they moved it to to north charleston still a lovely area but um it wasn't in marion square no it wasn't in marion square no that's unfortunate that's such a beautiful space that's such a beautiful outdoor like perfect for that yeah, they had a bit of a thing there when <laughs> trying to take the uh, the whole Calhoun statue became oh yeah 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 kind of an yeah. issue. So yeah, I think that even though the, the the statue is removed, I think they had already moved on to um, a more accepting uh, place, if you will. I should tell you that uh, I have cut down to only two cups of coffee a day no. from six. Six? six? You used to drink six cups I of coffee. Two in the morning, two at lunch, and two decaf at, at dinner or at like right before Well, that dinner. doesn't count. Those aren't real. Okay. Decaf is not, okay. you well, can't count that. It's my second day on it. And I will say, I feel like less <laughs> agitated, like less anxiety. Less anxiety. <laughs> like, I'm like, all I needed to do was like calm down on the coffee. I mean, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it, you, the whole time you're just thinking, this is how I am now. Well, it's like, yeah, exactly. Um, you're just like either really worked up and have to go to the bathroom all the time. Like, ah! Think about how many bathroom breaks you get to cut down on now. Oh my you God, know? So like, many, so many, so yeah, many. Yeah. And, and it's a de, it dehydrates you. So, yeah. you know, this is a, this is a good move. I'm, I'm proud of you for it. You know, we have uh we have a guest today. Um, who are we, who, who do we uh, get the pleasure of interviewing today? Oh, Joe Cunningham, who is one of my personal friends. So this was an amazing experience, I think for both of us uh, and very enlightening, but you know, we're really excited to see kind of if everybody else had as, such a good time as we did while doing this interview. So for those of you out there that don't know who Joe is, Joe Cunningham is an American politician, lawyer, and former engineer who served as the U.S. representative from South Carolina's first congressional district from 2019 to 2021, notorious for toasting a beer on the Senate floor to the spirit, bipartisanship, and cooperation. He narrowly lost his Senate seat to Nancy Mace, a Republican in 2020, However, that did not deter him from politics, and he is now running for governor of South Carolina, our home state. Awesome. So welcome, Joe. Great, great, Laura. Thanks so much for having me on. Good to be here. Yeah, we're really excited because this is, you know, somebody, we're both from Charleston. We uh, obviously are, you know, big supporters as far as the, you know, you really 
you got our age, our demographic, we're, we're on board. Um, but for everybody else that's out there, can you uh, do our listeners a favor and maybe tell us a little bit about your background, where you're from, and why you decided to get into politics? Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, first and foremost, I always say I'm a father. I've got a uh, four-year-old son named Boone and live here in Charleston. And, um, you know, by trade, uh, I'm an ocean engineer. Uh, later on, went to law school and practiced law for a number of years here in Charleston before decided to jump into politics after uh, President Trump was elected in 2016. You know, I, I, along with a group of other people nationwide, you know, decided they want to do something to try to turn the page or try to tone down the rhetoric that was coming out of our nation's capital. And so I jumped into a race here in South Carolina's first congressional district that no one thought we could win. Uh, Democrat had not won the district in as long as I've been alive. And it was gerrymandered as a district that Trump had carried by 13 points in 2016. Um, the Republican had won it by 22 points in 2016 and, you know, jumped into the race and, uh, and flipped it in 2018 and for and served uh, two years up in Congress. We won by a point in 2018 and then in a red wave year um, for down ballot uh, Democrats, you know, we lost by a point in 2020. And then several months after that, uh, we launched our bid for governor here in South Carolina and trying to change things around. So uh, been a very Exciting few years, and uh, and I feel like the best is yet to come, though. That's all amazing, first of all. Congratulations. Um, but you were a freshman congressman in, I think, 2019. Was that right? Yeah. And then yeah. How, how did it feel to be um, uh, so so young there, and, like, were you well-received by everybody? Or yeah, did they... it, it, was, it was interesting. You know, Laura mentioned this. Like, I think all of us, our, our age, and, Todd, I'm, you know, I'm throwing everybody in here that our age uh, – <laughs> We're looking at the, the, you know, this, let's just call it a geriatric oligarchy that's running government. People have been in there for 30, 40 years. And I think when we're younger, we think like, oh, these people, they know what they're doing. They've been doing it for years. And then you start to reconsider and like, no, they don't. Like, we, otherwise, South Carolina would be lasting, uh, you know, our schools or our roads. And so I wasn't alone in 2019 when I arrived up in Washington, D.C., I, I, you know, out of the freshman class, there's over a hundred of us, and a lot of them uh, were as young as me. In fact, some were even much younger than me. And people oftentimes were decided to step up and run for office. Never ran for office before, like like myself, but just knew that like the, the way the dire the direction the country was going was not in line with with uh, how we thought it should go. Um, and so, you know, I came in with a class, very very powerful and very. Um, you know, uh, dynamic class of individuals. Um, and I just felt, you know, lucky to, to be a part of that and, uh, to help try to shape the country more, you know, that's kind of in line with our generation and takes our state and country forward, you know? Well, I definitely am going to adopt the term geriatric oligarchy in my everyday, in my everyday speech, because that is the best thing, term bad. I've That's ever heard. Um, I, I, and, and you definitely, sorry. No, Laura, you got people, you know, running, running our country, you know, both, you know, they're in, and it's across the spectrum. It's, it's across the spectrum. And uh, I talk about our governor here in South Carolina, who's the oldest governor South Carolina's ever, uh, you know, ever had and it's like you know you really are we really trusting this guy to bring the jobs of the future or you know bring in 
high tech paying jobs whenever he'd be the one who likely to ask you to come over and reset his router, you know, like <laughs> there are some things that I don't get, you know? And, uh, yeah. Um, so again, I think we need a new generation of leadership and we're hoping to be part of that. And that, that actually leads me to, you know, you have your own podcast for those out there who don't know it is. Um, I think it, it's on hold probably for a little bit because you're running for governor <laughs> since it's a little bit time consuming, but um, for everybody out there, it's called joint resolution. And um, I found it very eye opening as it. far as, yeah, we both like Todd, you know, he's, I don't think I've ever heard Todd talk about politics often. So this was like a very, um, evolutionary thing for us because he we were learning he was learning a lot of words like gerrymandering i was like what is gerrymandering i mean i knew i knew about you know voter suppression and everything she's like well it's kind of like you know that's the the first thing that leads into that well they're definitely related in some ways but um you know as far as your podcast goes you know you're a big focus that you have that podcast is uh hyper-partisanship and tribalism and in politics and how that kind of affects uh, getting things done, especially with all these young people coming in and, and they're just hoping to just get, get things started. Um, but could you possibly explain for our, our listeners what exactly those terms mean to you and to, to us as a country? And, and, you know, after that, maybe you can just give us some tips for our podcast. Well, I don't know what, you know, you guys seem to be doing things quite well. And I, I've already learned something for you from uh, y'all on, on my podcast, but and I appreciate the plug too. Anytime. And um, we have kind of, uh, we hadn't recorded a episode in a while because we've been busy traveling the state, but you know, the, one of the reasons that I jumped into politics back in 2017 was, was this hyper-partisanship. It was this, um, and look, I think it, it it's, it's only gotten worse and, you look at the areas in which Democrats and Republicans can agree on, it keeps on getting more narrow and more narrow. Um, and there's there's a lot of things to blame for this. Um, you know, Laura, you and I talked a few days ago about, about gerrymandering and Todd, um, you know, I, 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 I got I, I to say, man, you're not, you know, you're, you're not alone here. So few people understand what it is and because it's not sexy. It's not like, you know, it, it, it's just, but it happens all over our country. And what it is, is it's when the state legislators, uh, when the state politicians draw their district boundaries to pick their voters instead of allowing voters to pick their elected officials. And it creates a very hyper-partisan environment because, you know, in a state like South Carolina, where Republicans control the state legislature, well, they'll get in there and we have seven congressional districts in South Carolina. And they'll get in there and they'll pack all the black voters, all the Democratic voters into one district. And so you've got Columbia and Charleston, which are separated by hundreds of miles, but the lines are drawn to connect them to squeeze as many Democrats in there as possible, and then have six easily winnable Republican districts. So even so you have one out of seven seats that are represented by a Democrat, whereas probably, you know, maybe three out of seven voters vote Democrat. Um, and what happens is not, you know, there aren't, there aren't competitive elections because whoever wins the primary just by the sheer numbers, the way the districts are drawn, uh, coast to the general election. And so what happens is, and I saw this firsthand up in DC is that, um, people only worry about the primary and oftentimes to win the primary, 
you know, you got to go if you're in Democratic primary a little bit to the left, or if you're in Republican one, you go a little bit to the right, or a lot of it. And um, so usually the most extreme person will, will come out of some of these primaries. Um, and they have no incentive to work across the aisle. And oftentimes, you know, if, if you're in a gerrymandered district, which most people are, if you work with the other party, you get hit with that whenever you run for re-election in your primary. With other side squabble says, you know, they're cowtown to the other side. And so it really just breaks the, the spirit of democracy and, and um, creates a system where there's no incentive to get anything done. And there's everything's based upon how do you win the next election? Breaking the spirit of democracy. I think that that is like very, very poignant because I feel like a lot of um, a lot of the rhetoric that was that was spewed by Trump was kind of along those lines. He wanted to break our <laughs> in my opinion. But, um, you know, I do feel that that is um, I wrote that down. Breaks the spirit of democracy. But you are um, you are like we said, like Laura mentioned earlier, you are running for governor. And uh, what made you decide to um, what was the one issue that you were like, I'm doing it. This is it. I'm doing it. And um, uh, why is it so important for the state of South Carolina that you be um, representing us? I start off telling people usually like we're you know, a big football state. So yeah. uh, and I, and I tell folks like we fire our football coaches if they have just one losing season here in South Carolina. And you, we have this governor who's been a politician in South Carolina for 40 years. And you pull up our record, you know, we're last in schools, we're last in roads, we're last in healthcare. We have the highest crime rate we've ever had. Like, like any, all of these indicators uh, tell a story that he should have been fired a long time ago. Um, so that's, that's kind of where we start. And um, it's about bringing our state into the future. And, you know, to take a step back, Todd, like, after the election in 2020, I thought about running for my old seat again. I think that's only natural. Mm-hmm. You know, you lose in a game, you want to run it back. Um, but after being up in Congress for for the, those last two years and seeing how things operate or how they don't operate, and to see what was going on at the state level, I think most people, and to give Republicans credit, I think they saw this a long time ago, that most of that power and decisions are being made at the state level. You know, while I was working... Uh, to pass HR one in Congress, which we did, which you know banned gerrymandering, which got dark money out of politics, which did a lot of great things for democracy. Well, it went over to the Senate and it stalled over there, and it kind of get shocking. Even, yeah, shocking, right? <laughs> uh, and it, but even now, though, Todd, like you know, the Democrats have control of the House, the Senate, the White House, and they still can't get uh, a lot done, especially some of the things that. We, but meanwhile, meanwhile. You know, you look at what's going on at the state level, whether it be our you know, response to COVID, whether it be, uh, you know, uh, restricting, a, uh, you know, a woman's uh, right to uh, control her own body uh, or restricting people's access uh, to uh, the voting box. Like, like any of these issues that people one side or another fight about in Congress or try to push forward, what's not being done in D.C. is being done on the state level. And... Um, you know, in South Carolina, we've got a lot of things that I want to move our state forward by, you know, expanding Medicaid, pay your teachers more, legalize marijuana. Um, there's a lot of things we can do on the state wait, level. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> wait, 
legalize marijuana. You know, I'm in I'm in Los Angeles right now, and it's like marijuana is like you're going to pick up some tea. Like it's not yeah. a it's not a big deal here, um, and whether you're using it for recreational or medicinal purposes. And so it's just so funny when when I go home and I see all my friends and family, and um, and it's just like you know it's a woo woo if you if you have marijuana still. It's like the yeah. craziest thing. But, but then, but then, you know, a lot of people talk to their parents, whatever, and they're talking about how now they're they're eating gummies, and it's like in and and here in <laughs> South Carolina and any other state, nobody's not using marijuana because it's illegal. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's it's ha- it's happening all around us, and one of the the impetus and the pushes for this is the last two years that I served on the Veterans Affairs Committee, and our men and women coming back from overseas uh, who are are carrying with them injuries that that we can't see. Uh, PTSD or, or otherwise, and I had a Marine come up to me who, who lost a, uh, a limb in Iraq by a roadside bomb, and he was telling me that every single night he lays his head down on his pillow, he tries to go to sleep, he relives that explosion in his mind. Oh my he God. said the only thing that allows him to go to sleep at night is using marijuana. And so, you know, you got politicians who will, you know, wrap themselves around the American flag and say they support the troops. And it all rings hollow whenever our men and women come back from overseas and they want access to non-opioids to help combat their PTSD or, or other injuries, and we don't give it to them. Um, so that's, you know, that's, that's a, and that's just the difference between where I'm at and where South Carolina's governor is at. He's out of, out of touch and, and outdated. Yeah, to kind of like piggyback on this, because, you know, we, we have... Todd and I have had a lot of discussions about this because it, it, it not only does it seem silly because it, the legality of it is not stopping anybody's usage, but that the benefit that we could get at, as a, as a state that can tax yeah. uh, marijuana is, you know, enormous. What Colorado has been able to do with, uh, you know, basically making billion or millions, if you will, of, of money off of taxes. Um, is that something that, that you're hoping that we can accomplish here? And what would you like to do with that, with that, those funds? Yeah, absolutely. Or I mean, I think we can, we can generate hundreds of millions a year and, you know, there's a lot of things, I, you know, the, the truth is about South Carolina, there's no shortage of, of problems to address, whether it be paying our teachers more or fixing our roads or possibly even cutting other taxes. Uh, but there's a lot of revenue. And, um, you know, I see this, I make this analogy, what we're dealing with now in South Carolina with marijuana and other states too. I mean, you know, Mississippi uh, has passed it legalizing medical marijuana. So, you know, wow. the, Mississippi is moving ahead of South Carolina. There are people in Mississippi saying, thank God for South Carolina, otherwise we'd be last in this. That's a, that's a sad state of affairs. Yep. You know? Yes. Um, but yeah, I grew up in a in a dry county, and that eventually went wet. You know, for for uh, some listeners out in California, a dry county is where you don't sell alcohol. <laughs> right? I say, you might have to clarify that for yeah. some people in the rest of the country. I know it's it's hard to fathom, but uh, eventually that county went went wet, and the reason was because all the surrounding counties started selling alcohol, realizing the sky never fell, that it produced jobs and it produced tax revenue. And that there's no, you know, many studies have been done. Colorado's had had this for years. And you don't see an increase in crime. Uh, And and in fact, oftentimes you can see a decrease in a lot of these categories that you want to go down, whether it be, you know, opioid use or or crime or otherwise. But we know for sure the tax revenue 
comes in. And I'm, I know that they enjoy that in Colorado, that tax revenue. Mm-hmm. And, and what do you think that, I mean, as far as I, I would assume in South Carolina, we've, we've probably got our share of, of debt, um, like most, uh, most states. Is that where you think you might want to funnel uh, some of that money? I think, you know, uh, we've been traveling around the state. We've been doing this 46 county tour. I've been about half the county so far. And we, we hear great ideas everywhere we go. Uh, but a lot of people are concerned about how much we pay our teachers or how little we pay our teachers. Uh, some people are concerned about the, you know, the hundreds of structurally deficient bridges in our state. Um, you know, we're hearing, we're hearing great, great ideas all around. But, you know, education seems to be um, a just a big pillar here in our state. And, and honestly, like by any issue we have, I can usually tie back to either education or healthcare. People need to be educated and healthy to be working, to be productive members of society and to be, um, you know, to, to, to basically carry the state forward. And when you uh, say healthcare, do you also, do you, do you encompass mental health in that as well? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, it's a great point, Todd. I think that especially now, coming out of this, this pandemic, I think it's never been more important. You know, I mean, we're, I think people are, people are suffering um, even more so than they were three years ago. And for a state like South Carolina too, Todd, like, you know, as it relates to healthcare or education, like we weren't knocking it out of the park before this pandemic, you know? So like, like kids weren't reading at the, at the grade level that they're supposed to. And so when you put people on zoom, um, and sometimes in areas that don't even have access to Wi-Fi, um, they're going to fall even further and further behind. So um, I often say like this, this pandemic, you know, everything was probably beneath the surface, but this pandemic exasperated all these different issues and brought them up th- through the cracks to the surface that they're now in front of us. And, and, and we got, you know, as we're, as we're reaching the other side of this, we can't forget about um all these issues that do exist. Laura described to me as a, she said it was like, we've, we've all been through this collective trauma, right, Laura? Yeah. And that was like kind of what I was going to lead up or, you know, kind of, um, I think it's a very great segue into kind of what this podcast is about and about, uh, you know, kind of facing trauma and, and making people understand that trauma isn't always just being neglected as a child or, you know, obviously there are lots of uh, forms of trauma that are out there, but that this particular experience, um, you know, I kind of feel like in our minds, after the chaos of the last election, after the insurrection on January 6th, and COVID all wrapped together, that there was kind of a collective trauma that that the country experienced. Do you feel like you hear that on the campaign trail a lot? Or is it, you know, uh, I'm sure South Carolina, uh, it's affected a lot of people, especially that aren't in metropolitan areas. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I think people were, have been worn down it's in these last couple of years and um, just the things we used to take for granted, like going over to see your, uh, a grandparent or an older relative at a nursing home or uh, a senior living facility. Uh, those doors have been shut off for a year and a half, two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, imagine not going, you know, going to see a, a loved one, in the flesh for, for that long. And it's not normal. You know, I think we have to recognize that like none of this has been normal and uh, you can't expect it. I mean, we, we always oftentimes focus and recognize the, the physical aspects of this, but the call, you know, anytime I talk to a pastor or a mental health counselor or 
uh, or anyone else deals with those issues. You know, thank them for their service and recognize how overwhelmed and strained they are right now uh, because of the desperate need for that. Right. And, you know, with everything that happened, I mean, I think that when Trump was in office, everyone was so um, on both sides, like the hyper, you know, I, I think that people were so angry on both sides that it sort of ignited a lot of younger voters to come out and show their support for uh, for Joe Biden and et cetera. But do you think uh, that covid has, as a whole uh, affected the political climate? Yeah, yeah, I think it's put people into um, different camps. On this and, and the whole thing's been politicized to to a, a terrible degree and you know the, the fact is like the, the neither neither side has a hundred percent monopoly on what's what's been right and and i think there are some things that we're we may reassess years later as as science continues to develop and we have more data in um but you know how it's pitted neighbor against neighbor and 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 um you know, family members against each other is is unfortunate and and sad, um, and how we demonize you know certain certain people or certain sides. But um, I hope that um, yeah, I hope that falls into the you know to the into the abyss as we move forward, though. And I hope that divide can can and, be bridged later on. And moreover, about like the governor of Florida this week, I saw. Um, you know, it's so crazy. Some of my mo- political stuff I get from TikTok. <laughs> and I saw on TikTok that there was a little bite where he went in at a, at a college campus and the, the students were respectfully wearing masks. And he came in and they, he said, you know, y'all take off those masks right now. Quit. We got we to stop this. We got to stop the spread of this COVID theater. So mm-hmm. I thought that was very like, you know, and then he turned around to the podium and started his speech. But every mm-hmm. he, everybody heard that side conversation, and I feel like that is another way that he that people are politicizing COVID. It's like this is science. This is like people are sick, and um, I do understand. Like I'm so tired. We just lifted the mask mandate in Los Angeles, like just. Yeah. And I know that down in South Carolina, people, you know, it's masks. I mean, Laura, you can speak. To it's me. been a little more loosey goosey, if you will. Um, it's. I, I mean, and that's kind of something, you know that that. You know, here, I'm sure it's exacerbated all over, but, you know, kind of the way the biggest impacts I feel like in in South Carolina, as opposed to necessarily the the mask or any of that, because there was a very much like a don't tread on me attitude about it. But there were things that we couldn't get away from, which was, you know, that the childcare, you know, had to come to a stop at, at certain daycares, schools, all of that, things that were unavoidable not, and weren't necessarily politically motivated. They were motivated by the teachers and the people that were running these institutions that were actually looking out for the health of their students and their teachers um, that worked for them. How do you kind of feel like the, the kids that, that went through all of that can kind of um, understand what really happened during COVID and, and kind of our current like climate as a whole, like, do you feel, cause I know a lot of your stuff is bit, you know, you want a better place for Boone yeah. and I know I want a better place for my kids. So, you know, how do you feel like we can maybe get back to that place of caring more about uh, uh, the, the kids during this time? How do we overcome the trauma that they may have experienced through this? 
I mean, I hope we can we can all come out of our corners. Uh, you know, as I said, like this this thing's been so politicized that people are entrenched in their own corners and feel like they're on we're on different teams. And I hope that you know, as we're opening back up, we can all come out of our corners and and, and move forward. But yeah, Laura, like you're right. Like I I can't. I mean, we know how this has impacted our lives and and being our age. But can you imagine being eight years old, four years old? No way. You know, I think that the hopefully we can carry forward um, the, you know, recognizing kind of the pitfalls, at least here in South Carolina, as it pertains to our education system and, and how far behind we actually were in our healthcare system. You know, I talk a lot about expanding Medicaid in South Carolina um, because a lot of our rural hospitals have been shut down uh, because, because they can't survive without, without that expansion. And, um, you know, recognizing like the, the, the shape that we're in and hopefully, you know, if people have been healthier in South Carolina, if Medicaid had been expanded, people would have been healthier. People would have been going to get their checkups. And we know that if you're in a healthier state, then your body has a much better uh, a chance of uh, fighting back against uh, these viruses, any virus. Uh, but uh, because we were, we're in the shape that, that we're in, um, Hopefully we can we can change that. Yeah, and I and I think too, you know, as a a single parent myself, uh, as you are as well, um, you know, I'm sure that there was a lot of, you know, the the back and forth of the schools, all the, you know, who's gonna, you know, when, when you're just trying to get through day to day life, um, and you don't have the same resources. Uh, you know, that, that can cause a lot of a struggle and, and some trauma that has to be resolved as parents later on in life. But, um, I, you know, I'd like to know how you are able to balance being a single dad and running for governor at the same time. What, what does that really look like for you? Yeah, well, I mean, during the, you know, when the, when the pandemic hit and, you know, schools closed, I mean, that was that was tough uh, because, you know, the idea of working from home with a toddler is, you know, like, is like a, a joke. I remember, you know, somebody on my campaign staff, <laughs> but I told him I had Boone on a certain day because the school was closed. And he looked at me, he's like, well, can you still do work? I'm like, I, I don't think you understand how it is with a four-year-old or a toddler. Like, there's no breaks. They're, you know, one minute they're painting or coloring, next minute they want to go outside. It's like constant. But um, it's, uh, you know, it's 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 tough. But, there, you know, there's... um. A lot of people struggle, uh, you know, with this or in this this, this predicament, and um, you know, sometimes working two jobs, three jobs, and I've got I'm fortunate enough, Lord, you know, as are you, to have a family in town. You know, I've got two of my brothers, and uh, you know, like seven kids between the two of them. I've got I'm the youngest of five boys, so three of us are here in Charleston, and yeah, that, that's that, that, yeah, yeah, that's that's a lot. But that support network has been invaluable, and uh, I think you kind of you kind of draw on family during times like this too. Well, you know, I have a question. So Laura says that you are a single parent, and bravo to you. It's a lot of a lot of work. But I have a, a a random question: Why or how do you, as a public figure with a four year old, how how easy is it for you to date? Well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> How hard well, is it? How hard is it? I mean, <laughs> so so a, a man and I separated back in you know 2020, and in South Carolina, you know, you have to be separated for 
a year uh, before you're officially divorced. But when you separate, you can draw up an agreement where you can date other people and whatnot. Um, I mean, look, you know, when you're in the public light, it's not like you can just create a profile on Bumble or Hinge. You know, yeah, you just like it's just and it was it was obviously difficult. I think when I was coming out of this separation, obviously trying to launch the gubernatorial campaign and also trying to figure out how uh, how to co-parent successfully, Mm -hmm. you know, because because, uh, you know, we start off having uh, half and half and and and. uh, you know, just how to make that transition and stuff. And because, you know, you have your mom's house and dad's house and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So obviously, you know, Laura, as a parent, like, you know, your child comes first and then you worry about your, you know, yourself a little bit later, but um, it was, you know, it's just, it's different. Todd, it's the question. Like, you know, there's not like, I don't go out downtown much. Um, and, you know, I've been, I've been dating someone for several months now. Um, okay. And so, you know, that consistency has obviously been a, a big relief, but, uh, you know, it's not like I could. <laughs> I can't jump on Tinder. I'm yeah, like, no, you just like, out there. Down to the and, <laughs> I'm 30, I'm 39 too. I want to have, you know, I have, I got one son, I want to have more kids, uh, and I want to be married again. And so I'm not, you know, I'm at, I'm at a different stage. I, I was when I was 21 or 22. And I'm also just in a different position now as well. So, um, I'm just not, you know, it, it's just different, I guess. There's a, there's a lot of differences between, uh, you know, when, when you're coming out single and, and in the public light versus not being, so. I can't and I imagine. kind of like, a, a part of me. I don't me, know if that answered your question, Todd. Yeah, you or totally, if that was you just, totally did. <laughs> you totally did. But I think also even, you know, it, it's harder. I remember coming out of my divorce and, it was like, you know, I took some time to get my bearings and, and wait till I was ready. Um, and then it was literally like the pandemic hit. And so everybody's like, yeah, no, get into your pod. And I was like, well, my pod is me and my two small children. <laughs> Please don't do this to me. Um, anybody out there. <laughs> so it, it was almost like the universe being like, oh, you were ready? Well, no, take some more time. <laughs> you know, I think you need to take some more time to yourself. So, Laura, you know, I can only um, <laughs> that moment. You're still dealing with the trauma of that moment. I'm still dealing with all of the trauma from uh, <laughs> many aspects of COVID. But uh, you know, it it, it's been it, tough. it was yeah, it, it was it was tough to 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 be in that isolated spot, which I think being in public office is somewhat similar in that your, you know, your schedule is, is pretty crazy. You're, um, obviously you, you can't hop on the apps, all that, but you know, it, it seems that y'all found something that works. Do, do y'all get to spend, do you have like dedicated time you spend together? Yeah. Um, you talking about who? Oh, about your, your lady friend. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How yeah we make that work. Yeah, we, we, we get to spend a lot of time together, and she's very, you know, accommodating of, of my schedule, which is pretty, can be pretty wild, and is actually going to get even more insane. Would she go with you <laughs> on the campaign trail? Um, I haven't been traveling as much uh, lately. I went to Aiken this past weekend, mm-hmm. um, but um, I haven't really been been traveling as much, you know, and, and I think, you know, hopefully in the near future, things will, you know, events, because we're, I feel like we're just getting to the other side of this pandemic. 
Oh my goodness. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and, and you know, it's like, there's a lot of things to, to juggle obviously with, with Boone. I try to schedule my events and my way time um, when I don't have Boone. Um, and that, you know, that takes, you know, that the, the, all these schedules, trying to coordinate these schedules and events and you get different people and groups pulling at you for, you know, you don't want to miss this uh, up in, you know, whatever county there is that happens once a year, or you don't, you want to be here for that. Um, but, you know, this is, um, this is the, the part of public service though. Yeah. I guess that's too, like kind of how um, I think it, at having children that same age myself is, you know, I, I've got a lot of different projects going on. I don't have nearly the same attention that's, that's focused on me as you do, but being in that kind of public figure uh, space, how do you feel like you need to shelter Boone a little bit from all the, the craziness? Boone's been part of this, like literally since the beginning, you know, uh, I tell people like- what, He's what, made for this. I, well, I, I announced, my, announced my campaign back in 2017. And literally the day after that, Amanda found out she was pregnant. Oh, wow. uh, the day after. And so we're like, buckle up. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a little like, I, obviously I put my, you know, my son on my Instagram and, you know, show people what, what I'm doing with him, like most parents do. And, you know, he gets recognized oftentimes before I do when we go out and go out in public. Um, uh, but, um, you know, it's, you try to, you try to strike a balance. Like there's, you know, during the, the throes of the campaign, there'll be people called trackers, which I don't know if you know, y'all have heard about them before. They, they follow you around with iPhones and they're, you know, yelling questions at you. Most times, not the most flattering questions or comments. And, you know, their objective is to get that one sick snippet of you flying off the hook at them and saying something. And then they can clip that and use it against you. Um, I didn't know they were called trackers. I'm sorry. Yeah. What is this? There's literally a group like. Yeah. How- and, and they're on both sides. You know, these are these are low level political operatives who are just sent, you know, up in D- they're everywhere in D.C. You can't walk from your office to the Capitol to vote without being approached by two or three. And, you know, and they will walk with you with a cell phone and, you know, in your face. And it's natural to, you know, to respond or to, to swat it down or, you know, or worse. But uh, you just have to, like I said, the, the best thing is just to ignore uh, those people. But it's, it's one of these it's one of these very unnatural things that, that most people don't know about uh, politics. That's very just represents the the worst, the worst. Why people hate it, and it's why oftentimes people don't do it. Right. <clears throat> being uh, from South Carolina, being from Charleston, um, there is it's still very much when, in my opinion, a Bible Belt uh, area of the country. And um, so. Uh, as a gay man, I'm wondering what, how you're going to, do you have any um, issues that you're willing to, uh, that you're concerned with for the LGBT community in South Carolina and how you plan to move those forward? I mean, people are still getting beaten up and stuff like when I was a kid and it's just, it's still very, um, I think there's been a lot of progress made, but I was just wondering if you, like what's specifically what's going on down in Texas right now with the trans kids, um, when, you know, that making it a, a law that they have to stop transition. I mean, do you, do you see yourself, um, you know, uh, addressing any of the issues in the LGBT community? Yeah, I've always been a big advocate for equality. And I, and I think that, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned, um, 
being a Bible belt. And it's, you know, we talk about these things. We talk about equality. We talk about uh, loving, loving your neighbor. Uh, a lot of these same principles that we, we draw from, from the Bible. And, you know, no matter what issue it is, like, I think uh, we got to take a step back and look at this through the lens of compassion and love. And, um, you know, a lot of people are, are in the, you know, in the LGBT community uh, suffer with through mental health and, you know, uh, making fun of them or, or treating them differently, um, you know, oftentimes exasperates those issues from, from what I find and from what studies show. Uh, so getting people to, to tone down the rhetoric and, and take a, uh, you know, take approach from, from more compassionate side, um, I think is, and a lot of people want to, you know, use certain groups, LGBT community as a, as a wedge issue. And, it unnecessarily draws people into the, to a conflict or a conversation mm-hmm. as a political pawn. I think that's sad. I think it's a kind of a sad statement on where our politics are right now. Um, you know, because we have a lot of issues uh, in our state. We have a lot of issues uh, that, that affect everyone. Um, and so, um, you know, like I said, this, this kind of, there's a lot of parallels and a lot of drawbacks to the mental health discussion we are having earlier. Right. And what we can, what we can do to kind of, address all those. Yeah, I kind of feel like too that, um, you know, that kind of lends itself to this, this whole bipartisanship, uh, or hyper bipartisanship, uh, uh, going on right now. i you mentioned in your podcast kind of how there'll be these random issues that are thrown in there. Like you just mentioned to, to try to, it's almost like a red herring, um, so that we really don't get anything, um, accomplished uh, because we're sitting here debating, um, you know, a woman's right to her, you know, to, to control her body and, and, and uh, trans people when majority of the, the country is really focused on work, on um, having, you know, health care, all of that. Um, as you've said, I mean, do you feel like that kind of after witnessing the insurrection and January 6th and everything that went on, um, that we're like kind of so far away from each other that we may like, how, how do we come together at this point? You know, I, and I got, I hate to go back to gerrymandering, but it is a big cause of this. Like you look at these members up in DC, these, these uh, they're coming from gerrymandered districts. They're coming from districts where they cannot lose literally like that's how much of a built-in advantage and it's drawn you know the first district when i represented it had five parts of five different counties uh the new lines have six parts of six different counties um and so i I don't know you know until we're able to and it's disappointing that the u.s supreme court didn't step in on this issue terribly disappointing but you know so long as you have politicians in charge of you know, drawing their own lines and creating their own districts, they're going to look out for themselves and look out for, look, they're going to look out for themselves first and us last. And um, it's, a, it's a sad state of affairs. And I think it's, it, it, it happens on both sides, but, um, you know, and then of course you got the other elements of it. You got the mainstream media and you have social media, both, you know, fanning the flames of, of this and algorithms on social media that put us into our own camps and, drive us further and further apart um it's um yeah it's it's it can be depressing yeah uh, for sure well yeah we it's definitely not um 
super sexy either, like you said about gerrymandering. But uh, and, and I used to think, you know, when I was coming back, I, I'll go up to DC back and forth. Um, you know, I'd spend nine days, ten days up there a month when in Congress, and I, I thought for the longest time that you know that that when I came back home, we were a reflection of DC, our, our partisanship, our partisan divide. But you know, later on, I I came to realize like I think DC is more a reflection of us until we start. You know, until we start listening to each other, until we start opening up our our hearts and minds, and realizing that that yeah, there are some things that that as a Democrat that we that we that we can learn from other people. Well, that's but 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 Republicans have to have to think the same thing too, because bipartisanship isn't a one way street. You know, exactly. that's exactly I mean, that leads me into the next question. Like, so when you're attempting to reach across the aisle to have a beer with somebody to talk with somebody to like, you know, just um, come together, how specifically would you reach across the aisle to someone like uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene? <laughs> she came in after me, thank God. Uh, <laughs> I, did, I did not have the um, uh, I don't think it's called a luxury pleasure uh, opportunity. To serve with her um again you know coming from a, i knew her successor or no her her predecessor tom graves a good friend of mine republican um i, I still I actually called me two days ago i still keep in touch with him great guy represented the same exact district um so you know there's look there's some people where you know on certain issues you you're not going to find a lot of traction on them um, I serve on two committees in Congress. I serve in the, on the Veterans Affairs and the Natural Resources Committee. There are many committees up there. The ones that most people are see, see are the oversight, the judiciary committee, are the most like partisan committees. But if I to, always told people, if you walked into a one of our committee meetings when I was on Veterans Affairs and you heard a debate and the, the whole process, you would not be able probably to distinguish a Democrat from a Republican because they're, most of the issues that they're, that that committee dealt with were pretty cut and dry, pretty, pretty, you know, to give uh, veterans access to better health care after being uh, exposed to burn pits uh, overseas or, you know, to make sure they can get benefits uh, quicker. I mean, there's so many things that, that people can agree on, um, but those don't make the, the good tweets. Those don't yeah. make the good 7 p.m. news clips because they're not confrontational and they're not so, you know, I saw that there are, there are, are opportunities to work with people and maybe even, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene on, on certain issues. Again, I don't, you know, I didn't serve with her. Do, um, do they want to talk? I, well, again, I don't know. I, you know, I can only speak to the people I served with who I got along with really well. Even, you know, a lot of folks that you see on TV who are talking heads and, or, you know, come on uh, the late shows of CNN or Fox. I got along with, with nearly all of them and, and found them to be enjoyable in person. And I remember Eric Swalwell, uh, Congressman from California, liking I know some Eric of the Swal- I, I, I don't know him. I would like to know him. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, he's a, he, you know, he's Congressman from California. I, I heard him on a, a radio show talking about his, I think, interaction with Ted Cruz during the impeachment hearings. But he likened some of these people to pro wrestlers, how they have this persona, this this image that they go on national TV and they say these things, but then you see them in the hallway, whatever, like, you know, you know, Hey, what's up, Joe? What's up? You know, what's up? You know, just like, it's, and I saw that when I was in Congress and I'd go in the, the members gym and work out in the mornings with a lot of these people. I'd see Jim Jordan on the stationary bike. 
uh, just giving it a hell, you know, and I, I see people in the locker room and you chat with them, you form relationships and you have bonds with these people because you're all away from your family. You're all up there in the same institution. You have, you have a lot in common. Um, but then when the lights come on, it, it, it changes things a little bit. Um, so you see, you, you definitely see a shift. Oh yeah. When like well, the cameras for, for are certain, on for, and everything. For certain people, you know, you got the people who, who chase the media and who are always on TV or always on and who, who thrive on that. And again, if you're in a, you know, Marjorie, you know, I don't know Marjorie Taylor Greene's district or Lauren Boebert's district, but there are some districts that are just so carved up and gerrymandered uh, where people like that. Um, and, and they support that, I guess. Uh, I don't think it represents nearly anything close to the majority of America. I think that most of our country and most of, you know, and definitely South Carolina and other states are, are somewhere near the middle. I mean, South Carolina is a conservative state, no doubt. Um, but I, people aren't far, far right, all of them here in South Carolina. There are some, but I think that most, most people in our country are you know, either a little bit to the left or a little bit to the right. Uh, you've got your extremes, of course. Uh, but, and right now, I feel like our, in government, we're being represented by extremes. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Agreed. Not to go back to gerrymandering, but uh, <laughs> it all goes back. This, this, this is the result you get from it. Yeah, no, totally. And I I think that, um, you know, that's kind of a, a big question. I, I know that you don't you don't have a magic ball. You don't have all of the the answers to all of this. But um, and I think it's going to take a lot of, you know, working together to figure this out. Um but, you know, you kind of spoke in, in your podcast, you touched a little bit, too, on um, kind of the, the collective trauma that that those uh, – you were not there on January 6th. However, you were extremely worried for your staff or former staff and people that were working there. But you talked to a few people that were in, you know, the halls and, and, and being holed up and how that was kind of a very traumatic experience for everybody that was involved, do you feel like that that in a way can be um, a way for both sides to see that this is an issue we can come together on, that they, they all experience the same kind of traumatic event and and that, that they can kind of work together to, um, or have you talked to anybody that wants to work together to, to kind of overcome that collective trauma of that event? I mean, unfortunately, that even that that's become very partisan. The January sixth hearing, and, and um, you really feel that way that it's become partisan. Yeah, I, th- I think it has. It has been. You know, I was um, I was looking online at a poll at what percentage of Americans uh, view as an insurrection versus a rally versus a um, what do you call it? Um, mob or whatever. And there's no there's no clear consensus among among people when. Um, I, I think, you know, what I hope that people could realize is that like these w- words and actions or words have consequences and that, that oftentimes we're, we're so, you know, we can be so cavalier with our, our words, especially in a, in a society that's, that's dominated by social media and, and TV and TV where only the loudest and most extreme get the airtime. So oftentimes I worked with people who felt like compelled to say something extreme It may not be what they believed. Um, you know, I worked with a lot of Republicans who, and they're in different camps, you know, they I had one Republican tell me on the House floor, like, if you criticize Trump over here, you're a pariah, you know, you're done. Um, and so you have either the group of people who, 
who believe everything Trump says as, as the gospel um, or the people who don't believe it and but recognize that if they don't buy into it, then they're not going to get reelected because of the district that they're drawn in and they get primaries, as we're seeing here in South Carolina, as we have seen. That kind of goes to another point that I felt like kept kind of being made is that, you know, that you have to go this far right or far left to win those primaries. And then if you take into the, the whole wrestling analogy, then they're kind of stuck where with those promises that they made that that may not necessarily serve the whole country, um, but they got them elected. So it, it's kind of hard to bring people seems to be that's kind of the message it's hard to bring people together um uh once they've made those promises and created those kind of personalities and it's a tough place up there now todd like you know you mentioned you know happened on january 6th um i talked to a lot of my old colleagues who who are you know i think are traumatized uh from from what happened imagine you know imagine anyone who's who's uh who came under threat at their workplace um uh, or had something like that um, happening, or felt that their staff or their own lives were in danger. Uh, I think anybody would be, uh, you know, would, would would suffer repercussions from that. But the system as a whole, I'll talk to some Democrats who they say that they don't work with anybody who who didn't did not vote to certify the election. They won't co-sponsor bills with them. Uh, sometimes they won't talk with them. Like it was already pretty fragile to begin with. There were there were only a, probably you know a couple dozen or or more members who genuinely tried to be the jail to bring people together. I was part of the Problem Solvers Caucus, which is half Democrats, half Republicans that met every week talking about the common ground we could build upon. Um, but that that common ground was, was I think, severely shaken, if not fractured, um, you know, from what happened, and not just January 6th, but the certification of the results and, and um, what happened there. There's a animosity there that, that wasn't wasn't present before, at least not, not, not on that level. You know? Right. And um, it, I guess the, the over pressing question that a lot of, you know, people in my community and I think Charlestonians in general, but how can, because there's a lot of people that want to do something, but they don't know what they can do, how to help. So how can we move forward and help in the nation? What can we do locally and as individual citizens to help that cause? I think, you know, look, elections have consequences is what I tell people. And, you know, everybody has a, a voice that they can exercise and, you know, find a candidate that, 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 uh, that, that you feel confident with, no matter what state or what district. And, you know, this, this, these purity tests that we deal with, whether it be, you know, you, and you have them on the right with Trump and you have them on the left as well. And I always, you know, bring up the, the saying from I think Ed Koch, who said, you know, if you agree with me on seven out of 10 things that I say, vote for me. You know, if you agree with me on 10 out of 10 things that I say, go see a psychiatrist. You know, we're, we're, yeah. <laughs> I love that. I mean, I mean, look, we're going to have differences of opinions no matter, even if we're on the same side, but like, and that's okay. But uh, find somebody who, who at least tries to move, move the ball forward and, and try to bring, bring people together as opposed to splitting people apart. Where can people go find you? JoeForSouthCarolina.com is our website. And we're on social media uh, at Joe Cunningham SC. We're on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. And as of late, even TikTok. Oh, wow. Yes, Getting into that yes. new generation. 
Big time, huh, Todd? Yeah. Am I speaking your language with that? Well, yes, because (laughs) here in LA, I mean, it's, it's crazy there. I mean, I walk around now and I see people that I've seen on TikTok that have like a million followers and it's like, they're, why are we watching them? I would much rather watch you with someone with some, some substance. (laughs) You don't want to watch a bunch of teenagers do um, random dance moves. Or cat videos. Yeah, yeah. Oh, cat videos. Come on. You can't forget those. That's true. Um, well, I think that, you know, I, I think that we've really touched on a, a lot of topics here and it's probably going to be a lot for, um, people to kind of absorb, but, you know, like you said, if you go to, to Joe's website, it is probably one of the most concisely written, in my opinion, uh, you know, d- just kind of lays out the issues that he's he's passionate about how he plans to move forward with them and and I think that that's a really good resource for people to to go see what you know what, connect with what matters to them whether that is voting rights if that's you know the um you know any number of of the things we just Medicaid all of that gerrymandering um, gerrymandering um you you might want to go look it up first but then (laughs) if you didn't get a clear description throughout this entire (laughs) hour interview um but you know we do like to as much as we love to discuss trauma and uh and how to overcome that we also want to keep uh the hope and optimism uh that i think we all are craving at this point um, in general in politics, but we we have our own thing. I know on your podcast, you always ask the same question to each one of your guests. We have um, our own tradition where we ask each other, Todd and I, and then we ask the guest the same question to see kind of their perspective. So I wanted to kind of turn the mic around on you and ask you and pretend like I ha- I don't know the answer already. But if you could have a beer with anybody Past, future, or present, who would it be? Obviously, future would be hard to decide, but yes. It, who yeah. would you crack open a beer? I don't, I, I don't know. I think I've, I've answered this before, and I, I hate to give contradictory answers, but I can't remember what I said last time. So You can have normal. You can have several people. Yeah, like changes, that. right, yeah. on a day? Yeah, yeah. Um, How are you feeling about it today, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, look, <laughs> politically, you know, I, I, think, I think Abraham Lincoln was, was one of the, you know, was the greatest president, um, and... You know what he what he dealt with with the, uh, you know through throughout the Civil War and and trying to hold things together. I, I mean, and from what I've read about him and all the books, uh, that would be a I think a very, very um, uh, desirable beer. Let's, let's yes. Um, you know, so so we, I guess we've just been talking politics because that's where my mind is at right now. Um, and I think about. You know Teddy Roosevelt, who my dog's named after, actually. Oh, uh, I didn't and, know that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we were going down a list of presidents and trying to th- figure out one that that fit him and his scruffy face and everything. A little rough rider, we call him Teddy. Uh, but um, but I, I'd say yeah, I'd say those those two come to mind. But but Abraham Lincoln, especially like when our country's going through trying times, to remember what we've what we've gone through before um, and. And the, the leaders, you know, who who had a hand on the wheel during those turbulent times. Learn a lot. Yeah. 
Well, I can't thank you enough for coming on here. I mean, this has been amazing, and we hope to bring you back at some point as the governor. Yeah, I'd love to. If not before. From the mansion. Yeah, I was going to say, were you planning on moving into the mansion if that if that it's so happens? So happens? Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to that opportunity. And, uh, I mean, absolutely. I mean, looking, looking to hit the ground running, you know. Um, and, you know, um, but yeah, I'd love, love to do this, do this obviously again. And I want to thank Todd for waking up before noon out there in California. Absolutely. I'm always amazed by his, his morning uh, jovialness. I, I am so the opposite. So yes, thank you to Todd thank for waking up this I, morning. I appreciate you both. <laughs> well, again, we can't thank you enough. And, and for everybody else listening, definitely get to his website, Joe, uh, for South Carolina.com. Um, follow him on Twitter uh, Facebook, TikTok is the hottest place to find him right now. Um, and yeah, I mean, we, we wish you all the luck within the whole world. And, and also to everybody out there, you know, donations always help. So, you know, think about it and go vote. To support Joe Cunningham. Yes. <laughs> all right. We all, you um, have a wonderful rest of your afternoon and we, uh, you know, thank you for giving us your time during this busy, your busy schedule. Thank you. Appreciate it, Laura. Thanks, Todd. Thank you. Bye. Man, Laura, that was such a great interview. That was the most seamless and an educational one I think we have done thus far. I mean, I really liked him. Like as a human. human. Yeah, he's very down to earth. He's very, I mean, I'm very lucky to call him my friend. So, you know, I am pumped that we got to get his platform. What was your your biggest takeaway from that? I feel, well, first of all, gerrymandering, you know, it's just, it's taking over (laughs) everything. It's controlling the world. (laughs) I don't know why we're not seeing it as a headline on every single newspaper, but no, just that generally that there is a little bit of of hope, despite all this divisiveness, that there is this younger generation that's coming in that is not having it, that, that wants to be able to actually work on issues that matter and, and come together and kind of getting that old guard. What, out what of there the as said? What, what? Uh, the uh, geriatric oligarchy which is you know my new favorite word and I, I think it's very appropriate i mean that is he he brought up so many amazing points the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over, over and over, over and expecting yeah. a different result so i think that i'm hoping that he this ride this this tide if you will of new people coming in will kind of bolster the the community and not yeah. so much like these very divisive issues. Agreed. And when he said he was 39, I mean, we're the same age. And to hear him talk about the things that do matter to me, but that would probably also matter to my elderly family members as well, yes. even though he thinks the people that are older that have been there, it, it's, it's time for some new blood. I do think that the people that are going to be voting for him are going to like his policies. He wants to fix infrastructure. He wants to address mental health in the military. There's so many issues that I just agreed, so wholeheartedly agreed with him on. I'm sure if we dug long enough, we'd probably come to something that we didn't agree on. But yeah, remember, 10 out of 10, you need to see us, you need to see somebody. But I mean, like, just for like some of our listeners, like there was so much that we could have gone even deeper into, but because of time, 
Right. You know, we, we had to keep it moving, but like, you know, just his, and these aren't necessarily things that we're saying are only democratic issues. They're right. improving schools, teacher pay, diversity. We didn't really get to this, but you know, that there's all this rhetoric out there about Democrats want to defund the police and all of that. And once you d- dig a little deeper into these you know, people's issues and what they're actually running on instead of listening to uh, mainstream media all the time. I really, you know, that I also, yes, agree. And don't you agree that he he brought it up more than once about um, ending the assault on women's rights and the woman's right to choose and the woman's right to like what's going on in her body. The fact that that is such a huge issue for him, um, I think that he's going to garner a lot of support with that because I think people are fucking tired of of hearing old white men tell them oh, what to do with their friggin' body. It's it's if unacceptable. If there's anything I can't stand is the geriatric oligarchy telling me what to do with my body. I'm telling him when I slip this word anywhere, anywhere I can. Anywhere can. But no, I mean it's it's infuriating and. Right. You know, and it's great, too, that he is passionate about that. And as well as, you know, the class, the freshman class he came in Mm -hmm. uh, on Congress was one of the most diverse, even as far as women and men and minorities and and usually marginalized people. And and that I you know, that just gives me some hope because it's scary to watch what's going on in Texas right now, what's going on in these states that are literally uh, reversing Roe v. Wade. It's horrific. And, um, and that, that whole new bill, you know, don't say gay, you know, yeah. it's just unbelievable, man. But he was, you know, I really did like the way that he, um, he was so, like you said, Laura, he's so approachable. He's so, you know, you could, he, maybe that's why he knew that he had to, you know, one of his slogans was let's have a beer, you know, like, let's just sit and mm-hmm. have a beer with each other. Like that, of course, because you feel like, oh, I can talk to this guy. He's not blowing smoke up my ass. He actually wants to yeah. understand what people are upset about. And I like the analogy you made of, or some, you know, maybe somebody mentioned it to him, but that there's this kind of wrestling uh, mentality of these people having characters uh, going in, like you can tell that he is—he's a character in his own way, like in a, in a purse. But it's him. He's genuine. It's not an act, and he—he he really does care. And 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 we didn't really get to the heart of it a lot in this interview, but you know, he did a lot of time focusing on the environment and, and was an engineer, uh, oceanic engineer, and pioneering things like that. So he's a—he's a go get him kind of person he wants to problem solve um and i think that's like really what we need at this point is actual problem solvers and not just the runaround and as we asked him i'm gonna ask you past present or future who would you like to sit down and have a beer with i would probably say jfk because i think that for one he's very handsome so i would like you know you know just the visual would be nice but two, you know, that he was also in a period of time that was a lot of civil unrest, lots of things that were all surrounding his presidency. And, you know, one of those people that I think is a lot like Joe, the younger, was had a very progressive view of the United States and where he wanted to go and unfortunately was, was stopped short of that. And, you know, I would just love to pick his brain about, you know, if he had had more time, what were the things that he would have accomplished? hundred percent. I mean, JFK is like the, you know, we still, we, there's still movies and still things made about him today because he was mm-hmm. such a, 
he was such a powerful president. And the way he passed was so traumatic. I can't imagine what Jacqueline, I mean, she was literally holding, you know, parts of his oh brain. Oh my gosh. I mean, can you imagine? I just, you know, but yeah, JFK, that's a good answer. Oh, well, so now let's hear your answer. Who would you like to have a beer with? You know, I was really thinking about this and because I drive by the street every day going to work here in Los Angeles, I would love to, would love to have a drink with Martin Luther King Jr. And just hear, I, I would love to have a drink with him now after seeing what he started mm-hmm. to how far he thinks that we've come mm-hmm. and to see how he views what's uh, Black Lives Matter and mm-hmm. uh, all of the, you know, all the social injustices that are going on within minority communities. I think that that would be such an interesting, powerful conversation because when you watch these old black and white videos of him speaking, you know, I have a dream. My, one day my mm-hmm. four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their sin, but by the content of their character. That is like one of the, the, the biggest... Uh, speeches that rings true in my brain over and over and over. And it's like, that's what everybody wants. They want to be judged by their character, not by the color of their skin. So uh, yeah, that would be my person. That's an excellent answer. I think that that also kind of, I think both you, your answer, my answer and Joe's is, is all kind of shows how much we really want to get like advice and, and perspective from people that we're trying to make, change and unite people during such divisive times abraham lincoln martin luther king jr and uh uh, jfk JFK all having a beer together that would be something right there i mean i'm in Uh, just to be a fly on the wall yes it was and i imagine that um the different dialects that are going on like the very the abraham lincoln's (laughs) presumably less southern accent with jfk i I, it's a little hysterical thinking i I really want it to happen agreed so maybe we make a movie that happens we should i think we should um well laura this was uh this was this is probably one of my i can't say too much yet but this is this is a really fun favorite interview i think you know kind of got my political juices flowing because i i tend to stay out of politics because it just makes me sad but um, yeah but we do have to you know it's kind of like we're at a time in in our in our country where you know and look what's happening with russia and everything you know and ukraine we have to stand up we have to start we have to fight and we have to support the candidates that we believe are going to create change yep and turn that next page that's right until next time Bye-bye.